Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Can you dig it? With a Bobcat Compact Excavator, you can. Up to $6,000 in rebates on select models and 0% financing for 36 months. Check us out at Bobcat of Charleston in North Charleston. Hi there, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 433 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I am Jason Evans here for your listening enjoyment. I am joined, as I almost always am, by Donald Wine and Sam Klein. Sam, how are you feeling today? I am doing all right. I am uh, currently visiting friends out on the West Coast, so it is a little earlier in the morning for me, which actually feels like it's hearkening back to our our once upon a time days when I recorded in Colorado. Yeah. And and you guys would record on the East Coast. So this is actually a pretty familiar uh, feeling for me, which is pretty cool. <laughs> and Donald, you're in Washington, right, buddy? I am in Washington uh, at, for, for people in Washington. Three Stars Brewery, which is a brewery that is local to D.C., is closing its doors this weekend. Uh, so after I'm done with this, I'm going to spend the afternoon uh, going out to that brewery and uh, reminiscing a uh, pretty good brewery. There's their beers are still available, at least, you know, up and down the East Coast. So if you've had the peppercorn saison you probably know exactly what i'm talking about but uh yeah it's it's, it's kind of weird a lot of uh a lot of dc breweries and distilleries are closing their doors either temporarily or permanently uh so everyone start drinking beer and whiskey from the district because we need our we need our people <laughs> we need to we need to tell people to start drinking more in 2022 correct I, I didn't realize this was the this was the recommendation but okay 
<laughs> will not fight it. I will not fight that record. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I was doing drink, plenty. Of drink responsibly, so, but drink so I'm, more. I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> Uh, gentlemen, we have a topic that will drive many of us to drink that we are going to spend most of our time talking about today. <laughs> it's something that we've avoided. There are a lot of people out there who have said, we need to hear you guys talk about it. I, on the last podcast, I, I, I made it clear, you know, I, I did a little thing at the beginning uh, of, our, of our conversation with the Kelly brothers, where, where I said, look, we know that the conference realignment is out there and, and we're not ready to talk about it yet. And I, and I noted that there, there ain't such thing as sources on this. You know, unless you're talking to the AD, the president of the university, or really important members of the board of trustees, you don't have sources on this. John Shire, believe it or not, is probably not a source on this. Um, neither is Mike Elko. So the conference, uh, the topic, of course, is conference realignment. And th there was big news almost this week when th there was a tweet that went out that that caused a lot of people to, to get into a stir. Um, a, a, a gentleman who covers swimming and, and, you know, we can mock him for being a swim journalist, but, but in fairness, that, that at least means he's a journalist. At least he's someone who has some sources, maybe knows some people. He said that Florida state Clemson, North Carolina, and Virginia were negotiating to join the sec. Again, those four would be Florida state Clemson, North Carolina, and Virginia. And, and for, I don't know, 12 hours, 16 hours, maybe more than that. There are a lot of people who are like, oh my God, you know, it's about to happen. The ACC is going to be torn apart. And, and things have faded since then. I think some people have, have somewhat debunked that, that notion. But there is no question the conference realignment is a major story that's happening right now. And, you know, it could be, we're recording this at 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. It could be by noon or one o'clock that some seismic shift has happened. And it could be that, Nothing else happens. There are no changes for years to come. No, no one really knows. But we're going to try and talk about it a little bit and specifically talk about how it connects to Duke and how it relates to Duke. Because Duke, I think, is in a weird position. Donald, why don't you get me started on all this? Yeah, Where, where are your thoughts on it? Yeah, so Jason, before we get into the overall discussion, I do want to point out, yes, we, we kind of clowned the guy for being a swim journalist who kind of broke this news uh, that had everybody going stir crazy. But I want to remind everybody before we get into this deep into this conversation, that while the discussion of conference realignment centers around football, it affects every single sport that a university may have. So it's not like it's just football people talking about this. You know, every single sport up and down the line, the revenue sports, the non-revenue sports, the Olympic sports, all of them are talking about how it's going to affect them because What's missing from some of this talk is the fact that even though, you know, Texas is booming the SEC for football or USC and UCLA are going to the Big Ten for football, that's going to affect their non-revenue sports as well. It's going to affect the bottom line budgets of some of these universities who may want to move, who may want to be in a position to get more money, but they also have to spend more on the other, you know, other sports because they don't get the sponsorships, they don't get the scholarships, they don't get the revenue that football and in you know Duke's case, basketball gets. So I want to keep that in mind that despite the fact this guy may be a swim journalist, let's be clear, swimming swimmers are talking about this too because it will affect yep. their day-to-day -day life as well. Now, go Donald, ahead. Sam. Can we also clarify? Because I, I think Jason, you were setting us up for the discussion about we like we jumped right to the Duke discussion, which is we haven't really talked about the USC and UCLA news yet. So as of like 
as of like right now, because of the news from last week with USC and UCLA joining the Big Ten, leaving the Pac-12, the two biggest conferences, the, the two most important conferences when it comes to football, the Big Ten and the SEC, are as of a couple of years from now, both at 16 members and, and include you know, teams from across the country now with now with a couple of West Coast teams joining the Big Ten and Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC. You've got real like national reach, basically national reach for those two conferences. And at 16 schools apiece, there's a question about like how big could they possibly get and and what what does that mean? So that's really the the world in which we're talking about what happens to Duke and what happens to the ACC. And and I don't know if you guys want to I I tell you what, actually, I'm hosting, so so I'm going to try and direct us a little bit here. And and I want us to get into the specifics, at least right now, of Duke and the ACC. And what I want you to save is your comments about whether you think this is smart and makes sense and all that other kind of stuff. Um, But I just want to talk specifically about Duke and the ACC. And the things we need to address are, number one, folks, if you haven't heard the words grant of rights... This is a huge, huge issue. All the, all the ACC teams a couple of years ago, back when, back when there was some other conference realignment stuff happening and there were some real concerns that the ACC could get raided at that time. The, all the ACC schools agreed to grant their media rights to the conference through the year 2036. I want to repeat that. 2036. We're still like 13, 14 years off from from when these grant of media rights expires. And what that means is if they play a game in any sport that is televised or otherwise broadcast in some way, the ACC owns the revenues from that, from that broadcast. So everyone out there who's like, Clemson's going to go to the SEC. Wow. Can you imagine the Clemson, Alabama game? That'll be Clemson, Georgia game. There's gonna be huge ratings games. Yeah. Huge ratings games that under the current grant of rights, the ACC would collect the money from, not the SEC. So the first hurdle for any ACC team that wants to leave the conference is the grant of rights. They have to figure out a way to get out of it or buy out of it or whatever else it may be. And then the other thing I want to talk about is Duke and whether is Duke going to be on the move? What are the scenarios and all that other kind of jazz? Sam, I'll come to you first, and I tell you what. Uh, tell me which one you want. You want to talk about whether the ACC is changing or whether Duke's on the move. I, I can, I can lay out what I think are the three basic scenarios for Duke as I see them today. And and I, don't, I love it. I'm not going to address the grant of rights issue because to me, I actually think it's less important because the amount of money that's at stake here for these athletic departments especially if you think that the SEC and the Big Ten could get up to like 20 teams a piece, there's enough money in there that they'd basically be able to pay out their portion of the ACC grant of rights. It might mean that like, you know, let's say Clemson's able to leave the conference and make $100 million a year uh, from, from Big Ten uh, football money or from SEC football money. Uh, some of that would not go directly to Clemson. It would probably have to go back to the ACC to, to you know, to, to get themselves out of that deal. So I'm, I'm or, less concerned or the, about the, the alternate would be that Clemson says, look, we'll buy our way out of the grant of rights. What's the number? Exactly. Is it, so, okay, so it's, let's say it's 150 more, or $200 million. And, and the they go, okay, well, over the course teams, of the next three or four years, we'll make that amount of money back. 
But quickly on that point, right? Like right now, ACC teams make $36 million a year from the ESPN contract and this grant of rights contract, $36 million a year. They're talking about SEC Big Ten teams and their new contract earning about $100 million. So Clemson or any other team could be like, okay, here's your 36. They're still making out more. They're still getting more money yeah. under the new deal than they would by staying in the ACC if this is something that uh, is a big issue with the grant of rights. So let me put the grant of rights aside for a second and tell you what I think the, the three basic scenarios are for Duke. And Jason, you said that we're going to hold off on our opinions on which one uh, we like the most or which one makes the most sense. So, so I'll, I'll put that aside. Three scenarios I envision for Duke. The first of which is that Duke is, and let's say that there are, I said, there are probably up to eight teams or eight, eight schools that are going to get to join these beefed up SEC and, and Big Ten because I think they can get to like 20 teams apiece and, and they're each at 16 now. Duke, the first scenario is Duke gets to be one of those up to eight schools. And I think that the other ones that are almost certainly going to go just because of, you know, football eyeballs that they can attract, UNC, Florida State, Clemson, Miami, uh, from, from the ACC, from the Pac-12, you might be able to get Washington, you might get Oregon, you might get Stanford or Berkeley. I don't know exactly, you know, how many, like what the ratings are for each of these programs, but these are the football schools that, that probably get to, get to move. Right. You'd be, you would be shocked at, at how, at Oregon's football ratings. I mean, I don't know that they're good. They're, they're great. Like, so Oregon is like one of the top. That's not surprising at all. They're on TV every week. National TV. Oregon Oregon might, might get, I'm, I'm not, I'm putting aside which of the schools get to be in this in this next group of eight. Right. Let's say Duke gets to be one of them. And and let's be clear, Duke is not getting chosen to go to the Big Ten or the SEC on account of its uh, on account of its like football reach. It's entirely because of the UNC rivalry and the basketball. Because um, Duke football is not attracting TV ratings. Hundred percent of that. Um, and 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 we have to be pretty honest about that when we think about this as Duke fans. So that's scenario one. In that scenario, Duke is really able to uh, to spend a lot more on sports. Maybe they go through another Wallace Wade renovation. Maybe they just continue to be a a doormat the way that like Vanderbilt is in the SEC every year. Uh, I, I think that would probably be the more likely scenario. But in any case, the Duke athletic department gets to keep growing its revenues along with the the top programs. They probably still don't make as much as like Ohio state or Texas makes, but they're basically able to stay the same as they are today. Uh, that's the, that's the first scenario. The second one is that Duke still leaves the ACC, but they go to the big 12. And in this scenario, I envision that the big 12 like becomes the sort of third place conference because it has currently the most, of the of the remaining quote unquote power five program or power five conferences, the ACC, the Big 12 and the Pac-12, all of which are under threat right now. The Big 12, I think, has the best position to be like the winning conference of those you know, to, to be like the clear third place. They have, I think, the best remaining football programs in terms of TV reach. Maybe the Pac-12 does, but the Big 12 has sort of better time slots. Right. It's easier for an East Coast fan to watch the other tech, you know, to watch Baylor football than it is for East coast fans to watch Washington football. So in that scenario, the big 12 is like, all right, let's cobble together kind of the, the, the best remaining misfits who missed out on the sec and the big 10 and Duke goes there in that scenario. Duke has to do a lot of traveling for all of these sports. 
and is probably stretching itself pretty thin in terms of the budget that is sort of incremental to joining that Big 12. The reason that Duke would do it is that they look at the remaining ACC and they say, this ACC grant of rights is actually going to be a negative thing for us because the the new uh, television contract that the ACC is going to be able to sign with ESPN or whoever it is, is going to be worse than the one they have today. That's scenario two. The third scenario is that Duke either remains in the ACC or in a conference that is made up primarily of schools currently in the ACC. On the East Coast, uh, playing football at a decidedly lower tier, because once you get rid of Miami and Florida State and Clemson and, and whoever the ACC schools that do get poached, the, the football is not as good. And Duke is definitely not even eligible to be invited to whatever we call the college football playoff in this scenario. The ACC is like almost certainly not going to be a part of that at the end of all of this realignment. Uh, in that scenario, Duke probably has a lot more control of its football schedule, or sorry, of its basketball schedule, because this new ACC is like, is not that great at, at basketball either. And Duke probably has to go play a really strong non-conference schedule, similar to the way that like Gonzaga has to schedule today to, to keep its, its basketball powerhouse status. The other knock-on effect of staying in this ACC that, that is really diminished is that Duke is probably making a lot less money and has to make some tough choices about which uh, athletic programs it's going to keep because it's not going to be able to support the 20 plus programs that are around today with non, you know, ACC ESPN uh, football money. Not that they can't make it up. They, you know, they can go find donors who are going to get that. They can, they can sell more, you know, jerseys that say Paulo Bancaro or Derek Whitehead on them, what have you. But uh, I, I don't know that Duke is able to make up that difference in TV revenue in that scenario. So, so to recap, your three scenarios, and I think these are not unreasonable, is that one, Duke joins one of these super conferences. Two, Duke joins, and you said it's the it's the pack, the Big Twelve, whatever, a a sort of lesser conference than the Big Two, but still a significant conference. And whether it is the ACC combining with the Big Twelve or whatever, yeah, I don't know what they. I'm, yeah. I'm saying I don't know. We, what we they don't need call to get into what they call it or, or what it is. It's right? number three. Um, right. It's the, the, the third conference. And and then the third scenario is Duke is a part of a significantly lesser conference. Uh, essentially, you know, there become two or three major conferences and then Duke is in one of the um, next tier conferences where our primary focus is basketball. Um, we have lesser sports. We have lesser money. And, and in that scenario, imagine it being like what the uh, what the Big East or the AAC became in the right. last few years, mm -hmm. right? We still recognize that like Villanova is a top basketball program that does not play in a power conference. They play right. in like a decidedly second tier conference. Let's <laughs> ignore the ACC's recent uh, uh, success at getting teams into the tournament. Let's put that aside. Uh, the ACC is still a more prominent basketball uh, conference than, than the Big East or the AAC are. Well, I, I don't, Big East is pretty close, but yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Uh, Donald, so uh, what do you think of Sam's scenarios? Is there another scenario for Duke? I don't think there's another scenario. I think well, those are later. Actually, we should add, there is one other scenario. We have to acknowledge it, which is that the, the SEC and the Big Ten say, okay, we're at 16. We're happy. We don't need to expand anymore. And things stay where they are, which is, which is probably that the ACC is the, currently the third conference 
but clearly below those top two and pretty much on par, I think, with the Big 12. I think the Big 12 and the Pac, whatever it is, Pac-10 now, Pac-12, whatever, are going to do something to try and strengthen the remaining schools they have. Yeah, and I think for for me, you know, I, I've been talking with my best friend about this for like the last couple of weeks since the you know first domino kind of dropped. And really, there's two things that I'm going to point out. I think one, if Duke goes anywhere, if they leave the ACC, I bet, and, and I'm not going to say 100% certainty, but my my hunch is that they go where UNC goes, that they those two will they become of, a package deal. I agree. They package themselves together because of the basketball aspect. And and, the, and if they go to one of these, you know, SEC, Big Ten, they go together. I, I honestly don't think it would be the SEC, but, you know. Yeah, I agree with you. I, th- could be if, I think if Duke goes anywhere, it will be the Big Ten. Right. Um, the other thing is this. There's one huge domino that everyone is waiting to see where it's going to fall, and that's Notre Dame. Because if Notre Dame leaves the ACC in every other sport but football to join Big Ten in everything, including football, that means that the ACC contract already is gone. Like that, like whatever contract that they have is going to be weaker the next time around. And anything that the Big Ten has is going to be that much stronger because they're going to have NBC and ESPN and Fox all bidding for them and offering probably, you know, upwards of $100 million per school per year. That is going to be the big domino because once that happens, then the Big Ten has 17 teams and they're going to have to try and figure out a way to either get to 18 or to get to 20. And that's when people will start jockeying for position. Uh, the SEC will counter by trying to increase to that amount of whatever amount the Big Ten says as well. And there's going to be an all out just, you know, just bidding war, essentially. Everyone kind of offering themselves for for these other conferences to see what the best deal is going to be, who the best teams are going to be. And I think that is where. I think Duke hopefully is ahead of the game in that. I think they're keeping in, you know, knowing how Duke has kind of been in the head of game and everything with regarding NIL, with regarding, you know, just you know, all of these little things that people think are little things. That's going to, those details are going to hopefully work out in the end where we end up in the best position possible, whether that is here in the ACC or in another conference. But I think the, I think the biggest thing is, if Notre Dame makes a decision one way or the other, that is going to determine how the rest of this conference realignment goes because there's such a big piece. Because once this happens, I think there's talk about like maybe us going independent in football and then joining like the Big East or something like that in basketball. I think that is an option, but I don't like the option because as Sam alluded to, I think the new contract with the college football playoff is going to make it where those big teams shut the rest of everybody else out. And Duke wants to be on at that table. Duke has always been at that table, whether it's been through the ACC or for football or for you know basketball. They've always been at that big table. They don't want to be at the little table when this new one comes around. And I think if Notre Dame is forced to join a conference, because I think that's what this is setting up to be, the Big Ten and the SEC are going to say, hey, if you're not in the conference, you're not a part of this table. Notre Dame joins the Big Ten. That means everyone else is going to try and get at that big table and try to join one of those two conferences. Guys, I got a key question for you. What do you want? If you could, if you could do anything, what would you want Duke to do? And, and while you guys think about your answer, I will tell you that I am very hesitant about saying I want Duke to be part of one of these two super conferences that are, that are coming into play. 
I mean, if I could really wave my magic wand, I would say, hey, the ACC is the, is the third biggest. We're not quite as competitive as those two, but we're clearly number three and things stay where they are right now. And Duke continues to play teams where we're driving distance. Fans are driving distance from most of the games. You know, yeah, Syracuse, BC, I get it. But for the most part, you know, it's pretty easy to get to the games and they're all in the same time zone and everything like that. That's my preference. I just don't know if that's possible. So, Sam, what do you want Duke to do? If you could, Jason, yeah. I would say actually that Duke playing Syracuse and BC is actually currently advantageous in that a lot of Duke fans and Duke alumni live in the Northeast. True. So, right. uh, like, it's not know, driving distance for them. It may be, dry, it may be right, exactly. Like, distance like for Duke, replace, but not for us. Replace Pittsburgh with St. John's, and you've got. A, a much better conference. Like if Duke was in, in the old biggie, like if Duke could make a conference out of like St. John's and Georgetown and Georgia tech uh, and, and Villanova you know, yeah. schools, like there's your, <laughs> there's your geographic footprint for the Duke fans. And maybe, maybe they have to add like uh, university of San Francisco or something uh, so that they can throw a bone to the West coast. Like that would be the best way to get Duke fans to the games. Jason, I'm, I'm with you in my, in my sort of hesitation about what, version of of the future i want for duke duke makes the most money and sort of remains the the duke athletic department sort of remains the most as it is today by being in that scenario where they join the big 10 or the sec and i think i'm i'm less sort of committed i think than the two of you to if duke is joining one of these conferences it must be the big 10 and not the sec i think that the the personally i think the academic part of this has been tossed out the window and it's really just about you know, who's, who's getting the, the television contract geographically, I guess Duke fits more in the sec than they do in the big 10. And so I, I actually wouldn't be surprised if, if Duke is joining one of those big conferences, I wouldn't be surprised by either of them, but I look at what has happened to the Maryland athletic department since they left the ACC for the big 10. And I see how they're for the, like, they're definitely struggling to compete in football. They're still pretty competitive. Uh, in basketball, like they've been ranked in the top 25, but they're not, it's not like they're winning the big 10 every year, right? No, Michigan they're, State, they're not challenging Michigan, for the big 10 either. Ohio State, Wisconsin, there are tons of good program, basketball programs in, in the big 10, which means that Maryland is still jockeying for a position and is possibly like worse off than they were in the ACC. Because the last few years in the ACC, they, you know, they, they had the Grievous Vasquez teams that were very competitive. Of course, before that, they were nationally competitive in the in the Steve Blake, Juan Dixon years, that really hasn't been the case for Maryland. And I look at that outcome for Maryland. And that was also driven by money, you know, like the, they admitted it when they, when they moved, oh, yeah. they were like, we need, we need to keep all these programs afloat. And I, I don't think that the enthusiasm is there anymore for, for Maryland athletics. Donald can tell me if I'm wrong, but I think if Duke joins, if Duke joins the big 10, they they become like Maryland. They're they're an afterthought in a in a conference where the center of mass is is much farther away from where Duke is. And and yeah, maybe they maybe they get to keep all this money and keep running the programs, but now they're playing harder games every week. And and you know, maybe the basketball program is able to keep up because it's Duke, but it's it's swimming in a much bigger pond. And I don't actually know if the if Duke fans are going to like losing more in in that in that scenario right hey, the, the fun i think the fun is in is in the winning uh, you hit on something the teams that have moved conferences in recent years 
have really like Texas A&M. Hey, they're making a lot more money in the SEC. Are they they're, winning the SEC? They, exactly. That, that, that football program was a lot more relevant when it was in the Big 12 than it has been in the SEC. They, they've been competitive some years. They've had some, you know, they've had some glory, but competing with yeah, and they, LSU, and Florida, A&M, Georgia, and Alabama. Uh-uh. Texas A&M and Maryland both went and joined extremely competitive football divisions, right? Texas A&M's yeah. in that SEC West. Maryland's in that Big Ten East that has like all, you know, has Michigan and Ohio State and Penn State and Michigan State. So uh, there's, they're, they're going up against a lot. So I actually, I would like that scenario only because it helps Duke sort of preserve what it's got. And I think that the, I'll, I'll skip ahead to say that the scenario that I prefer is, is the third one that I laid out where Duke is in, either it's still called the ACC or it's called the Big East. It's called something made up of a bunch of schools that still play football, but are more basketball focused. The downside to that, the part that's going to hurt the most is that Duke is going to have to close some of its programs or is going to be like much less relevant nationally in a lot of programs where we're used to being competitive. And I don't know among those if that's men's and women's lacrosse, women's golf, men's and women's soccer, uh, the softball and the new softball program, the baseball program that's recently been rejuvenated. Duke has had a lot of on-field, on-court type success in, in a lot of these programs over the years. And I don't know that all of them survive uh, or, or at least survive at a really competitive Duke level in that scenario. But the reason that I like it the most is that it, it kind of has Duke admitting that it's not a, a, a power football program. And, you know, I, I, I love Duke football. We love, we love Duke football. We, we don't talk about it as much on the show, but I'm watching Duke football every week. And I know that only 7,000 people show up to the games. And I know that the TV ratings are garbage. And as nice as 30,000 seat Wallace Wade Stadium is, and it is really nice now. If you haven't been to a Duke football game in recent years, you should go because the game day experience is actually really pleasant, but it is not an Ohio State football game. It's not an Iowa football game. It's not a Purdue football game. It, it's, 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 it's not as, as it's not a South Carolina football game. It's, it's not a no, Georgia football game. Definitely it's not a not. football game. Oh, right? Like not. it's, it's definitely none of those things. So uh, there is a level of of looking yourself in the mirror here that that I think would uh, Duke would benefit from by being in that scenario, even if it means less money. By the way, if you're worried about any of this affecting basketball, because I feel like we haven't talked about the effect on basketball, oh, we're about to get very there. much here. Uh, <laughs> I was, I was going to talk about. It. I don't think, yeah, Donald. Maybe you can you can you can take this from me, but I don't think this changes much for basketball. Duke is. Duke is a really strong basketball program that is able to schedule any game that it really wants to schedule. And if, if all you've been complaining about for the last few years is the fact that Duke schedules a crap non-conference schedule or could schedule a better non-conference schedule, hold on to your butts because in a world where Duke doesn't play in a great conference, they are going to schedule awesome non-conference basketball games. So for me, hey, hey, I, Donald, really quick, in addition to talking about the basketball impact, which I'm eager to hear you talk about, I want to know which one of, Sam's scenarios, which I think are pretty reasonable scenarios, you prefer for Duke. So my scenario is this. Duke is in the best possible conference they can be in. And I know that's kind of a cop-out answer, but it isn't. Here's why. Um, Like I said, Duke has always been at the big table. I don't want Duke to resign itself to being at the little table because there's a lot. All the money that we've pumped into the basketball program, the football program, the lacrosse program, the golf program, the the 
softball. We created a they, softball. They program. built a new softball. They built a new softball yeah. program. With and a new won the ACC. <laughs> yeah, and win the ACC and has done well in. The, they were in the super regionals of the uh, you know NCAA tournament, the College World Series. Like baseball rejuvenated, you know tennis rejuvenated, like all these different sports. I don't want to go back to the you know to the thing where some of those programs have to be let go, especially after all of the money that all these capital campaigns that Duke has been doing over the last decade to pump money into those non-revenue sports. I don't want that to go to waste, but here's the other thing. I think here's the difference between us and a team like say Maryland or even Texas A&M or West Virginia or any of those other schools that kind of uh, Missouri. We don't have to worry about rivalries ever. Maryland, when they left the big 10, they left their only rival that they considered to be a rival. And that was us. And they thought by going to the Big Ten, they'd still be able to schedule us. They'd still be able to keep that rivalry and get more money. And that hasn't happened, uh-uh. right? <laughs> Not even a little bit. And the and throughout the ACC Big Ten Challenge, they are terrible at basketball. And they always say, why don't we get Duke at the ACC Big Ten Challenge? It's because you're terrible at basketball. They're and not maybe good. if you believe, maybe if you believe the conspiracy theories, it's because Coach K has his thumb on the scale. But, but Coach K is retired now, so that's in the past. And, and you know who we got? Ohio State. Why? Because Maryland is terrible. It's not good at basketball. But here's the other thing, too. When Maryland joined the Big Ten back in 2014, I believe is what it was, right? Every single game that they had in football and in basketball, their fans basically tried to make a rivalry out of it. They were like, yo, we about to get, we about to smoke Rutgers. Like Rutgers doesn't know what's coming. We're about to smoke Penn State. We're going to go in there. We're going to trample on their midfield and they're going to be mad at us and we're going to get an instant rivalry out of it. And the Big Ten was like, don't care. Do not care about you. But I'll tell you this, Duke basketball steps into a Big Ten arena. Duke basketball steps into an SEC arena. We don't have to worry about that because everyone is always out to beat us in every single sport and every single thing we do. It does not matter if it's basketball. does not matter if it's football. does not matter if it's golf. People are, thrive on the fact that Duke did something to them back in 1973, and they're going to take it out on us when we step foot on their court again. Like that's what's going to happen. So we don't have to worry about that aspect of it. So we don't have to feel like we're going to be irrelevant in the conference because we're not. We are going to walk in and people are going to want to beat us. And that is part of making relevance, right? Like that's how rivalries are created. It's because teams want to beat each other. But we also are going to walk into some of these in some of these scenarios where we will have some natural rivals. Look, I'm from Michigan. Dare I say it? Michigan and Duke, a nice rivalry. Michigan State, Duke, a rivalry. I hate Ohio State. I love beating them every year. I hate when we lose to them. Don't disappoint me on my 40th birthday, Duke. But those sort of things, right? But we also are going to have UCLA, a you know, a traditional power in college basketball. We are if we go to the SEC, we get barbecue every year, Duke versus Kentucky, right? Like that, those they're still going to have rivalries for us to be relevant in these conferences. Will we win every year? No. But that's the point. The point is to challenge ourselves and to be at the big table to get the big dollars so that we can continue to improve our resources. And that's what I think we should do, whether that's the Big Ten, whether that's the SEC, whether that's you know some conglomerate conference that's going to compete with those two conferences. I want us to be in the best position possible to maintain our sports and also to continue to pump resources, to continue to maintain level and for us to always be ahead of the game 
like we have been for the last decade in every other aspect of this thing we call athletics, right? College athletics with the NIL, with just, you know, bringing in Rachel Baker to kind of be a general manager of, of the basketball team program. Like those sort of things are teams that pe- are, are, are things that other programs are not thinking about. I want us to always have the ability to do that. Even though Donald, in, in your scenario, Duke is going to get trampled in football more than it currently does. But, but just maybe... Maybe that yeah. maybe that maybe that spawns more resources be pumped into the team, more more emphasis on recruiting, more emphasis. I mean, I'm not I, I'm not going to you know diss the coaching because we haven't seen them coach a game yet, but like more emphasis on those sort of things. Yeah, maybe we turn into an SEC school that every two years we fire the coach because we went six and five. But we as Duke fans are actually very you know grateful when we get to bowl games. We don't take those for granted. We draw more than any other team because when we go to a bowl game even in this last decade, it's still a novelty for us. I want that. And we've always, I think all three of us have always said, we want that novelty to eventually wear off because we're in so many bowl games that we, that we don't have to worry, like that we're still like, you know, confused. Right. So I want it to be where that, you know, rising tide lifts all ships. And that, that ship is football. I I think that's the thing is that's the reason why we're kind of in this conundrum is because football, the program relative to basketball is so disparate compared to the other schools that we have to talk about it from a basketball perspective. And I'll, I'll say this about football. If the scenario where Duke joins one of these two super conferences is a scenario where there are 20 teams in each one of these conferences. And those 40 teams are perceived as the top 40 football teams in the country. In my opinion, that is going to be indisputable. And as a result, Duke could be the worst of those teams. They would still be considered one of the 40 best football teams in the country, and that would help Duke in recruiting. We are not currently considered one of the 40 best football teams in the country. Mike Elko is doing a great job, and his recruiting has so far been off the charts. And, and I'm eager to see what it does over the next couple of years. It won't happen this year, obviously. The recruiting is really a few years down the road. That's how it works in football. But if you put Duke in one of these big conferences, I think our football program elevates not necessarily relative to the SEC, to the rest of the, the, those programs, but we elevate relative to the rest of college football. And I think that could be a fun, interesting thing for Duke. And we can also fish in the same pond. We will have no qualms of yeah. being able to fish the same pond. Like right now, we're going to California and we're like, hey, everyone who doesn't want to go to USC, UCLA, Bama, you know, Georgia, Stanford, yeah, Stanford, Cal, Washington, Oregon, Oregon, we'll Arizona, Notre Dame, Michigan, Ohio yeah. <laughs> State. Right. But but at the same time, we can go and say, hey, you're, you you want to get the biz exposure. You're in the insert, you know, super conference. We're in that, too. So you don't have to go to Alabama or go to Michigan or go to Ohio State to get that exposure. You can get that exposure with us, too. You're going to get I'll the say, same. Donald, th- th- that scenario is the one that I like. I-, I think I would I'd be cool with it, even though it would feel uh, kind of goofy the scenario where mm-hmm. Duke joins something like a reconstituted big 12 with you know adding like Boise State and BYU and like other football powerhouses from the west coast or from the from the western half of the U.S. that's the one that I'm sort of least interested in and Same. I worry yeah. that's the one I'm like sort of most worried about happening for Duke is that they get desperate to say we want to be in that third tier that number three football conference and that and that they do that and it results in like insanely stupid rivalries that that don't even really take off so i'm i'm i hear you on that and i and i'm sympathetic to the world where you know duke joins the big 10 or the sec is a laughing stock in football but still gets to 
you know, keep all of its financial muscle to, to keep all the other programs afloat. Jason, I had a question that I wanted to throw back to you because one of the interesting layers on this that doesn't get into the national discussion because it's entirely about basketball for Duke is that at the moment, Duke is considered maybe the, the, the top basketball program. If it's not the top basketball program, it's one of like the three most prominent programs in, in college basketball. A lot of that is on the coattails of, of Coach K. Coach K is retired now. John Shire is the coach. How it all, like, how does the, that change affect your thinking about sort of when Duke needs to make its move here? Because I think there's an uncertainty about, is John Shire going to succeed as the Duke coach? And do we want to wait three or four years before Duke makes this jump? Because I don't know that Duke's stature as a big basketball program is going to fall in three years. The recruiting is good. Like the, the, the floor is still pretty high for John Shire, but there's a world where he doesn't succeed. And Duke ends up like Indiana over the last 15 years or UCLA over the last 10 years. Schools that definitely were uh, national powerhouses in basketball that are not any longer. I think one of the reasons that perhaps you don't see the SEC and the Big Ten moving on the ACC yet is partially that question of what happens to the Duke program. Because if Coach K was still there and, and it still looked like he was going to be there, you know, long term, long, you know, as long as you can at his age, then I, I, th I think Duke looks more attractive. I think there is, I, I, there, there have been a number of articles, I think we've all read them, that say there is some hesitation regarding the future of the Duke basketball program and Duke being the absolute, no question about it, number one program in the sport, which they are today. And, and I'm not just measuring that about on-court success. I, I, like the, the Duke social media influence, imprint, whatever you want to call it, impressions is off the, rating, the charts. The, the, the TV ratings, everything. Yes, yes. But I, I mean, like Duke, uh, and, and if it, you know, it's a function of a lot of different things and, and not least among them, the fact that Duke has all the best young stars in the NBA. But, but Duke is the, the big boy in the sport right now, in the sport of college basketball. But yeah, there's, there's a question. And I think it, it really would behoove Duke for John Shire to have a really good first year and for John Shire to continue to bring in the top tier recruits. I actually think the recruiting may be the most important part of this because it, fun it funnels immediately into the NBA. And one of the reasons Duke is considered the, the biggest, baddest brand out there in college basketball is because of Zion Williamson and Jason Tatum and Kyrie Irving and all the other guys that we have who are absolute studs in the NBA. And as Duke continues to produce those guys, and, and we, we're not going to talk about it in this podcast, but so far, the first couple games in the summer league, Paulo Bancaro. Balling. Ball, balling. Paulo looks unbelievable. Uh, and Wendell Moore, actually. Wendell Moore looked really good as well. Balling. But yeah. <laughs> as John Shire continues to bring in guys who are future high lottery picks, future NBA all-stars, that's a big deal for the Duke brand at the college level. And so I think, and Shire's shown that he's going to do that, but I, I think the next couple of years are unbelievably important. And the last thing I'll add to it really quickly, uh, the, the, and, and by the way, those years are important, you know, again, for recruiting, but also for some on-court success. I think Hubert Davis did John Shire no favors at all last year, making the championship game. 
there's going to be a lot of pressure on John Shire to lead this young and new Duke team. And boy, is it new. You know, shout out Jeremy Roach as the only you know, guy who got meaningful minutes last year who's back. Um, there's going to be a lot of pressure on John Shire to have this team be very successful on the floor and for the rate, TV ratings to continue to be strong and for everyone to say our game against Duke is, is the biggest game of the year. Um, because if that starts to slip at all, then Duke's attractiveness to these other conferences just tanks. I think for me, I, I'm not as concerned about that. Here's why. Um, those like articles that we've seen about you know questioning the future of Duke's program, those have been the drafts for 30 years. They've been able to break them out, right? Like the only reason we're having these drafts is because Coach K retired, right? The only reason we're having these articles is Coach K retired for the first time in 42 years. Someone can say, what's the Duke program going to do? How is it going to proceed? But at the end of the day, I, I think also because of that, the bar for Duke is so high, right? You just mentioned it, Jason. Like, is it a failure next year if we get to the final four again, but don't get to the title game because Hubert Davis got to the title game a year ago? For us, we'd say no, but for everyone else, they're going to say yes. And that, no, I don't, that think, I don't think so. I don't think so. The, the, I, the, I, the I, question, question for me would be like, let's say Duke, Duke made the final eight. Let's say they were, you know, a top 10 team all year and made the final eight, or maybe even only the sweet 16. Are people going to say, oh, John Shire can't get it done? No, I, I, uh, here's the thing. Yes, they will. They're all wrong, right? Like we, 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 I, I mean, I wasn't alive when coach K was hired, but if we had coach K starting now, coach K would not be coach K because he would have been fired. Right. Like, but the, but the bar for Duke has already been set so high. So I'm not worried about people thinking we're going to fail if we don't reach that highest bar that not even their program can achieve. I'm not worried about that. For me, it's about can he continue to bring in good recruits? Can he continue to find success in the ways we do? We, I mean, we can still win ACC championships. We can still win ACC tournaments. Like We can still get to the Final Four. We can still get to Sweet 16s. That's still going to keep your program in that relevant era but at the same time yes eventually they're going to start the comparisons but it's not going to be in year one and i'm not worried about or year two it's not gonna i'm not gonna necessarily worry about that but the bar is so high for him that i'm not concerned what anyone else has to think he just has to put blinders on and quote unquote run his race this duke team we're going to be fine i think the reason why the hesitation has come around for duke joining another program has never been because of basketball it's always been because of football all right, last thing on this conference stuff before we take a break. I'm going to say this. My prediction is that nothing's going to happen. My prediction is that the SEC and the Big Ten are both at 16, and they're going to be perfectly content to stay there for a little bit and see what 16 is like. Because, by the way, it's a lot of teams spread over a lot of the country. You know, scheduling is kind of weird. Uh, you know, people are like, oh, what's going to happen when USC goes to play Rutgers? That's strange. Well, USC may not play Rutgers very often because you can't play that many conference games, uh, that many football conference games in a, in a given year. Uh, I think that things are going to stay somewhat pat. I, th there'll be some movement. The Big 12 and the Pac-10, Pac-12, whatever it is, are going to do some stuff to try and strengthen themselves, perhaps form a partnership. But I don't think you're going to see the ACC breaking up and all this craziness that we've been discussing as potential stuff in terms of Duke. My bet is that Duke has continued to, to be in a conference with pretty much the same teams that maybe one or two leave and maybe one or two come for, for the foreseeable for the next several years, at least. And 
And last thing is like the notion that the women's field hockey team from USC is going to go play Minnesota. It's like, it doesn't make any sense. College sports is great because of the rivalries, because of the tradition. You know, think back, think back on the games that you remember from years past for Duke basketball. I'm not talking about NCAA tournament games, regular season games. They are almost universally a game against a UNC or a Virginia, a key conference rival. And part of that is that we mostly play conference teams. But part of that is that we just have so much history, tradition, and we know these teams so well. And when you start to lose that, when you go to 16, when you go to 20 teams in a conference or more, there's talk they could go to 24, you know, whatever it may be, you're going to lose some of that. It doesn't make any sense. And I, I think, I just think these guys are really short-sighted. I think that they, they see the money today and they don't realize that that money today is not going to be there tomorrow because people just aren't going to be as interested as they used to be. I, I'm, I'm not going to make a bunch of predictions, but I'm going to make one simple one. Notre Dame will be forced to cook or get out the kitchen period. When it comes to football, there's going to be, they're going to basically say, Hey, you either in or you're out. And I think this is setting up for college football playoff to be conferences only and no independence. And they're going to say, Hey, if you, if you're going to talk about Notre Dame, Notre Dame either has to join a conference or they're going to be on the outside looking in. And that's going to force that other domino, that biggest domino to drop. Jason, one thing I'd add to your uh, scenario prediction here, which I guess I could I could make another scenario in my my list, which is things relatively stay pat and the SEC and the Big Ten don't expand very much. Is that the only programs that they've added in the last few you know months, years, whatever, have been USC, UCLA, Texas, and Oklahoma. These Big are time. the schools. Big these time. are the schools that are moves, moving right. Even if even if it's like oh we need to get to twenty, so we're going to add UNC. UNC does not add the football eyeballs that any of those programs do so ucla may be less so but it could have been that usc was like we're taking ucla with us because because this is just how it works um so it might be that all they're doing is gearing up to get the biggest programs possible to position themselves for their new media deals which are both coming up in the next couple of years and how much does like clemson add to your to your per school football revenue in 2026 i don't know so, so you, you might have a have a, a really good point here about how things may stay more the same than we think, given how much they've changed in the last 10, 12 years. Yeah, Sam, that's a great point. There's no question that the moves that have happened, Texas, Oklahoma, USA, and USC, and UCLA, enhance the Big Ten and the SEC and bring more money to all the teams in the conference. I am not sure there's any other program, maybe Clemson, maybe, but I'm not sure there's any other program that definitively adds revenue to every team in those conferences if they add them. So you and that's where Donald's Notre Dame. point about Notre Dame comes. Well, it, it, right. Notre, Notre Dame is like sorry. Might Notre Dame's be the only no one left out of those. So, but I'm not sure there's any deal that nets Notre Dame more than Notre Dame gets from their current um, TV deal, exclusive TV deal with NBC. But it's yeah. how much they care about the playoffs. That's yeah. I, I think that, that Donald put that really succinctly. So we'll see. Okay. All right. Well, like I said, we don't have sources. We're just talking randomly. And boy, we talked for a while about that. But believe it or not, we got more stuff to say. Coming up after this break, what are we listening to? Stay with us.
Okay, gentlemen, we are back from the break. We're just going to do a quick segment here. What are you listening to? I think all three of us have in the past few days commented to each other. We have our own little private chit chats. We've commented about something that we were listening to that really impressed us that we thought would be interesting to share with the audience. Donald, I will go to you first. What is it that you've heard recently that you're like, wow, everybody needs to listen to this? Uh, well, first off, this is just the latest in a line of great, great, you know, just videos that uh, have come out from this person. And it's Kara Lawson, the uh, head coach of the Duke women's basketball team. Uh, if you have not been following Kara Lawson on Twitter, if you've not been following Duke women's basketball on Twitter, uh, one, you should because their their program is is on the on the rise and they have been recruiting very heavily and bringing some great, great players into that program over the last year. Uh, but also because she gives some some pep talks that will get your day, week or year started or restarted, whatever you if you need a reboot, you need to listen to Carol Lawson. Her latest one is no exception. Her latest one that she talks basically about how people go through life trying to uh, say, oh, well, I, I can't wait for this to happen because it'll be easier at that point. I can't wait for Friday because the weekend will be easy. I can't wait for uh, the end of the summer because my workload will be light and it'll be easier. And she instead says, don't wait for things to be easy. Work so you, should so you can handle the hard better. And I think that was a great, great, like, just thing to say, not just to players, but I'm glad that they recorded it and put it out because it hit me too, right? Like, we're always waiting for, man, I can't, you know, like, if I can get through this day, like, the rest of the week will be pretty easy or, you know, I'll be, or a lighter workload or lighter in life, the work balance will kind of, like, rearrange itself. But life isn't easy. We've all experienced hardships in life. We've all experienced a lot of, you know, good and bad things, the ups and downs, the hills and valleys of life. And never have they been put to you to make it easier. They've always been there so that you can handle hard better. It's about it's how you go off to college and you get an education at a top university. Has, has it been easier for you since you graduated from Duke? Hasn't been for me. It's been just as hard, maybe harder. But Duke taught me how to make my heart, like work hard, you know, do that and handle it better, handle the adversity a little bit better. And every single time adversity hits you, it's a lesson that you can take. And next time it happens, you can handle it better. And I think that was very good. So if everyone goes to, uh, I know it was on Duke women's basketball Twitter, I think it's on Carol Lawson's as well. Go check that video out. It's about a two minute video. It won't take too long, but it will really shape how you think about life and how you approach life. And when everything, when, when the chips are down and you're having a rough day, it's setting you up so that you can handle the hard better. And I think that was a very good message from Carol Lawson. I watched that video a couple of times, Donald, and I was thinking to myself, man, I wish that someone had told me this a few years ago. Right. Because <laughs> I, I, can, I can look back on a few moments in my life when I probably need someone to say, you know, pick yourself up. It just gets harder from here. Yeah. You know, and this is, I mean, this is, this is a life lesson. And, you know, we're, we're, we are all, you know, very far out of college, you know, Sam, a little more recent than us, but like, we're still learning. And I'm glad that we have a, a, a woman like Carol Lawson, who was a member of our Duke family who can teach us these lessons, you know, ever so often to keep us grounded. Cause again, the learning never stops when you leave Duke, the learn the, the hard never stops. But that message right there, it was, it was also it was on a Tuesday. It was right after a 4th of July holiday where you're like, ah, oh, I have such a hard week. And she put, just put it right in me at 7 a.m. that, nope, you're going to handle this better. You're just going to handle the hard better. That was a great lesson 
thank you very much for that lesson, Karen. Yeah, don't wait for the easy, get better at the hard is like just it it, it is words to live by. It's great stuff from Kara Lawson. All right, Sam, your turn. What have you been listening to lately? Yeah, I got to uh, listen to JJ Reddick's interview with Grant Hill on JJ's podcast this week. And I don't think I need to tell a bunch of Duke fans that it's interesting to hear a conversation between JJ Reddick and Grant Hill. But there were a lot of, of pretty cool nuggets about Grant's time at Duke and also about how difficult his struggles were in the NBA with, with all the injuries. There were, if you remember, there were years where Grant Hill was, was not able to play and went through a ton of um, uncertainty about what his role was going to be in the NBA, where his career was going to finish up when he was, uh, when he was recovering from all those brutal injuries and did eventually have a final act in the NBA that was not you know, it wasn't Hall of Fame worthy the way that that his his first act in the NBA was, but uh, where he was a, a big contributor to a couple of really good teams, particularly on the Suns uh, late in his career. So uh, I I just wanted to to shout out that conversation. There's there's all kinds of great stuff about Coach K and the um, the impact that he had on both Grant and JJ and how the and how the Duke program has sort of continued to to lift Grant up. And, and I think. You know, there are a lot of really impressive guys who have come through the Duke men's basketball program. Uh, we talk about Shane Battier a lot on this show. Grant Hill's had an incredible sort of post-NBA player career as an owner, as a broadcaster, as a businessman, uh, as, a, as a sports documentary producer. He's done all kinds of cool stuff, and he also stays pretty involved at, at Duke with, with a lot of programming there. So it, it, was a, it was a neat conversation, and I think that, you know, even if – uh, folks don't listen to every episode of JJ's podcast. I think that that skipping ahead to the uh, to the Grand Hill one from last week is worth your time. Okay, it's my turn, and I'm kind of I was a little surprised at at my pick of what I've been listening to that I think people should should check out um, the Bald Men on Campus podcast, which is Jay Billis, Seth Greenberg, and Lafonso Ellis. I, I love Jay; he's a friend of the podcast. And those, those guys are all smart, but their, their podcast usually sucks. I'm just going to be honest. It's usually just not that good. And the audio quality is almost considering it is an ESPN product. The audio quality is just bad, but recently Lafonso couldn't be there. And so Jay Billis and Seth Greenberg sat down and talked with John Shire. And it wasn't like the greatest interview I've ever heard. But I think it was very insightful and very interesting. And we, we've, we've, you know, we've talked already on this podcast about the pressure on John Shire and, and how Duke is at an unbelievable inflection point uh, in our basketball program because we have a new guy at the helm, first time in more than four decades. And so I am trying to consume everything I can about what John Shire is thinking, what he's doing, what, what led him to this moment. And, and I, I thought it was a really good, really interesting interview. And I think folks should check it out. Um, Shire, uh, one of the interesting things that I heard in it was Shire talked about the fact that he has to educate the current Duke team about Duke history, what it means to be a Blue Devil. Um, you know, it, it sort of spawned out of a playful question as to whether the guys on the program know who Jay Billis is. And, uh, you know, and, and Shire was like, look, I, in some cases, I got to explain to these guys, you know, here's where Coach K got his start. You know, here's here's who Johnny Dawkins and Jay Billis and Danny Ferry are. Heck, here's who Bobby Hurley and Christian Leitner and Grant Hill are. 
And he said that he shows film. He shows the players old film. Um, and then he really tries to educate the current youngsters, the 17 and 18 year olds about the history of Duke basketball. I thought that was, and, and it's one of the first things they do when these guys arrive on campus. And I thought that was interesting. I, I also love, there are a couple of stories I wanted to highlight. He mentioned that he likes to play tennis with Emil Jefferson and that he and Emil have pretty similar abilities in tennis. And they recently found out that uh, Mike Schragi and Jay Lucas both also play tennis. And so they're like, oh, let's get together the four of us. We can play a little doubles. And he said, Mike and Jay are really good. <laughs> <laughs> and that uh, they played doubles. And apparently Mike and Jay just wiped the floor with John and Emil. I thought that was amusing. And then the last story. Yeah. Hang Sam. on, Jason. Can I can I just very quickly? I, I'm I'm imagining what it looks like for six eight Emil Jefferson and what was once six ten six, six, six ten, ten uh, yeah. uh, Jay Billis to be playing tennis and it's a very limbs laden affair. Wait 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 sorry, did I say Jay? It was Jay Lucas. Yeah, I know, but but oh. I'm imagining I'm imagining Jay <laughs> Billis and, and Emil Jefferson <laughs> playing playing tennis. Uh, they got a lot I, in 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 baseball pitcher parlance. I think they would say those guys got a lot of moving parts. <laughs> when it comes to their, their tennis game. Uh, okay. So anyway, the, the last story that, that Shire relayed that I thought was really interesting. So he talked about growing up and this is who John Shire was that when he first became a college basketball fan, he's like, he was a Duke fan. And then he got to like junior high and, and everyone who played basketball was either. Now he grew up in Illinois. Everyone was either a fan of Duke or Illinois. And he was like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to be different from all these other guys. And he, for a little while, he became a fan of Seton Hall back when Tommy Amaker was the coach at Seton Hall. And John Shire was like, yeah, I was a, I was a big Seton Hall fan. And he said, then there was a moment fairly, you know, like his sophomore year or so in high school where he got a phone call from coach K saying like, Hey, we're, we're interested in seeing if maybe you want to play for Duke someday. And John Shire was like, from that moment on, I was the world's biggest Duke fan. He was like that phone call from coach K. I was like, Seton who? Seton Hall, what? No, I am a Duke fan again. But I thought it was just, like I said, this, this interview that Jay Billis and Seth Greenberg of ESPN did with John Shire had a lot of fun stuff in it and a lot of revealing stuff about who John Shire is. I do like uh, the fact that he is starting off by talking about Duke history uh, to these young players. And honestly, I think that should be done every year. It doesn't matter if there is a veteran-laden team or an inexperienced team that's part of going to college, right? Like I didn't know about all, all the Duke history when I got to Duke because not everyone grows up a Duke fan, right? You just mentioned that John Shire, like in, it was until his sophomore year, he got a, got a fabled phone call that made him a Duke fan, right? Like for me, it was when Shane Battier committed to Duke and went to Duke. That's when I became a Duke fan because I want to follow my guy, right? Like, but some of these guys didn't grow up as Duke fans. They don't understand why being a Blue Devil is so important what they're about to experience, how, you know, all the stuff that we talk about with people and how they treat Duke fans or Duke players on the road and stuff like that. They are not necessarily always ready for that. And I like that they start off the campaign by saying, this is what you want. This is how it's going to be. This is what being a blue devil is like. Look at these names on the wall. These are the guys that are going to be looking at you to carry their mantle with you, right? Like that is, that's part of it. And I, I'm glad that he's doing that. All right. So that's going to wrap it up for us here on episode 433 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Donald and Sam, thanks for joining me, Jason, as we uh, tried to figure out this conference realignment stuff. I, I think we got it all solved, right? It's all done. Yeah. There, there's there's so nothing... Duke's, 
Duke's going to the American, I think, now. Is that right? <laughs> Duke is starting its own conference and it's going to be the Duke Conference and everyone else will come to us. No, the I, mean, I don't West? know. Duke's in the Mountain West? Sunbelt. It's a Sunbelt. Sunbelt. As long as we're not in the MIAC, I'm fine with it. Duke's in the MIAC. (laughs) All right. Like I said, we are wrapping it up here. Hey, folks, don't forget, you can always send us email. We've gotten some fun ones recently. We got people asking us random questions like, hey, where can I get a Duke jersey? (laughs) Those are the good stuff. We love it. Send us your email at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe so everyone is able to find this podcast. The Duke Basketball Report. I am Jason. He is Donald. He is Sam. And this is the Duke Band to play us out and take us home. So we have a Duke softball uh, alumni softball team here in D.C. So we played on Friday and I uh, I'm the pitcher. And went through the whole game. We were, you know, battling back and forth. I struck out four people, which in softball is wait, very wait, hard to do. It, is it fast pitch, modified? No, fast slow pitch. pitch. Slow pitch. You struck out four people in slow pitch softball. Yeah. But were you playing against eight year olds? I mean, come no. on, man. <laughs> no, I, I paint. I hey, I paint that strike zone, man. Um, wow. But uh, the one walk I had, of course, was in the last inning. We're up, uh, we're up one run walk a run or i'm sorry walk uh the first batter the next guy is the pitcher and he dinks it to center field and my center fielder who was great all game like went to dive for it and just missed Uh-oh. inside the park everybody's right running everybody's running everybody's yep. running everybody scores we walk off yeah wow so i'm like yo that's, that happened he's like he was so mad i was like look that happens i mean you win for it like can't be mad it's, it's it's softball like can't be mad at it crazy things happen in slow pitch softball Oh yeah, I mean it's like it was like one of those things where he didn't hit it that hard, but once it hit the ground, it like skidded. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it took off. Like yeah. and no one was able to get it. So I'm having a great season at the plate. I'm batting like close to 800. <laughs> I I haven't played that much this summer because my I I'm on two teams. The Duke team I've been missing a lot cuz they're on weekends for the most part and I'm not here on weekends. And the other team, like every Thursday, like we either don't have enough players or the other team doesn't have enough players. So we've only played one game this season. Um, so, yeah, it's been my my pitching is on point. My defense is on point. My batting is a little shaky because I bat once every six weeks. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't I, help. So I, I play in a synagogue softball league and I play in the uh-huh. B league. So the quality of the opponents varies wildly. <laughs> So it's, pretty <laughs> it's, a, it's probably most competitive softball in Atlanta. Oh, it is not. It is not. The A-League <laughs> is really competitive. I used to play in the A-League. The A-League is really competitive. The B-League is really not competitive. Although every so often, like today, the team we played, um, their second baseman was 17 years old and plays high school baseball. I was like, what, what, what is this guy doing on the same field? We'll see. Me? We'll see. We have rules, right? Because like it's an alumni league and because everybody – there's other teams that like to cheat and all that stuff. We all have these stupid little rules. So like we have rules against like, you have to, you can have one varsity player on your team. You can have, um, you can't have any pros on your team unless they're 50 or over, which if you're thinking, okay, that doesn't come into play, but there is a professional softball player on one of the teams. Oh, wow. Who's really, really good. Like he pitches like strike every single time. 
anytime he decides to swing the bat, it's a home run. Like he'll yeah. like he won't they like give him orders not to swing unless there's two people on base because it's not worth it because you only have three home runs in a game. Right. They don't want to waste it. Yeah. They don't want to waste it. So they're like, if there's not two people, like just you know, put the just bat stroke out a there single. And, stroke a single. Stroke, yeah, but he his singles are like singles because he hits a 400 foot rocket off of the fence. Like it never goes more than eight feet off the ground. Yeah. And he's able to do that and just kind of jog the first. I'm like, yo man, I need, I need those skills in anything like yeah, <laughs> to be exactly. that good where you can just pick and choose. That's great. Sam, what sport are you getting hurt at? Uh, <laughs> not, what, what was the last thing I did that made me? No, I don't know. I've been, your audio is bad by the way. Uh, is it better if I if I come closer to the microphone like this? Yeah, that's definitely better. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're, um, you're clearly using a condenser mic. Uh, well, I'm using my it's the computer mic, right? Which, which is uh, by condenser, it picks up the whole room. Yeah, yeah. Um, hold yeah. on, I'll turn the fan off, and which might help. Um, I'll also say when it comes to sports in general at this age, and Jason, you probably know as well as I do. Um, every game you get hurt. Every single game. My, my shoulder's killing me right now. Every I don't even single know what game I, you I get didn't hurt. do anything to my shoulder and it's killing me. <laughs> right. Every single game you get hurt. It's just a matter of how bad. Like, can you finish the game or can you not finish the game? And you know this, as soon as it happens. Hang on. Is this better? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Is it mm-hmm. better now? Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's what I thought was going to happen. Yeah. Right. Donald, you say you get, wait till you get to be 55, baby. Actually, we've got a guy on my team who's 67. Now he's terrible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's awful. But he, but he's 67. He's still getting out there. I'm like, you, you are my idol. I, I, I uh, props to him. Yeah. I've been, I've been going to a bluegrass jam in Boston where oh, a lot you of get hurt. Guys, you, a, lot, a lot of pulled muscles at this bluegrass jam. Well, so there's, so there's one guy that shows up. Who's <laughs> like, I think he's 93. Um, and he still can like play the fiddle, which is, a, which is hard. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the fiddle, if I can't, the fiddle is not a sit still instrument. Like you got to no, kind of be, you got to be jamming a little bit when you're you playing gotta the be, fiddle. You got to be doing it. Um, yeah. And this guy, this guy's 93 years old and plays the fiddle. I'm like, I, I want whatever sauce you have. Because uh, <laughs> he has I'm, all the sauce. A lot yeah, of them. A lot of them. It's, it's bourbon. If I'm still able to play music at that age, I'm gonna be like thrilled. Um, so no, I haven't injured myself recently. I've done a lot more uh, hiking and walking. So uh, hopefully that doesn't kill me anytime soon. I haven't played any softball like since COVID, um, which really sucks. But if I tried running, I'd probably, I'd probably break a leg. Yeah. Um, so that sucks.